Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of it, Lord, the gift that it is. Lord, we know from your word that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. And that you never change, Lord. You're the source of life. You're our source of hope. You're the one who loves us unconditionally. Lord, you're our creator. You're our sustainer. Father, we pray that your word would be what we latch on to and build our very lives upon. Lord, we know your word is who you are. And Lord, we get another snapshot, if you will, of that today as we read about the very identity of Jesus Christ in Revelation 19, Lord, our victor, Lord, and us along for the ride as the, as, as the bride, the, the object of his love and affection forever. Uh, open our eyes, Lord, to what is truly around us and our ears to really hear what you have to say to us today. We pray this in your precious name. Guys, I'm loving Revelation chapter 19, and we um, are taking our sweet old time, and that may be a little different, a little out of character for us. Um, we, we typically, you know, try to cover a good amount of ground, uh, you know, each time we gather, but there's just so much here, and I want to take the time not to beat it to death, but this is the end of the story. You know, we said this right along through our study in Revelation. There, every story has a beginning. And the way that this world began, you guys, you know, we read of it in Scripture, it began perfectly. It began in Eden. It began with the Creator that even looked upon man, who just, you know, put them all together and then said, ah, I can do better than that, and brought Eve into existence, you know? What a magnificent thing we saw all the way back then. But then what? You know, there's a middle to this story, and it's where we currently exist. This ain't the thousand-year kingdom yet. This is certainly not heaven. But I'll tell you another thing. This certainly is not hell in the way that the Bible describes it. You know, there is a place so much worse than this, and yet we're stuck in between, as it were, you know, what we wish that this world could be, what we wish that we could be and our families, the good that we hope for, and the reality of a broken and messed up world all around us. And not just out there. The world is not broken out there. I hope you guys are coming to understand, as you read this, that the gospel is for every day. God's grace is for me every day. Like Psalm 32, David, who is a man that loves God, cries out, oh, how blessed, how happy is the man who God has forgiven. That's us, you know, but we're in the middle. And what we're reading about is how this ends. That's why it's so sweet to me, and that's why I want to take such, such, you know, careful, you know, good amount of time to just go over what this is saying. You know, we've come to Revelation, you know, 19, where the bride of Christ that's been tucked away, as it were, for seven years on her honeymoon with, with the bridegroom, that's Jesus Christ, is, is being publicly revealed to the world. And, uh, you know, uh, let's pick up in verse 11 of chapter 19. <clears throat> Let 
Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him, the horse, was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he had deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, the abuso, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him, so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Guys, in verse 11, Jesus, having just had the marriage supper of the Lamb with his bride, is going to publicly reveal the church. The church has been with him in heaven for these seven horrible years on earth, where judgment and mercy has been extended to those in this world that had rejected Jesus Christ and His grace and His mercy. And what a, what a terrible time we've seen that to be as we've gone through Revelation. But now, as we come to an end, this, this government of the Antichrist, this one world system, economic, religious, all of the power and all of the might and all of the military force, all of it is at His disposal. And I like how the story ends, guys. Because in Revelation 3, you guys remember this, we've talked about this even a couple of times, to the church in Philadelphia, they were given this to hold on to. 
these things says he, God, who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key, or the key of David, the kingdom, the real kingdom, who, who, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. You know, uh, God says to that church, I know your works. I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, as we come to the end of Revelation, there is no stopping. The Antichrist cannot stop what is coming from heaven. A door is flung open and there is no shutting that door. That gives me hope. You know, um, I, I sometimes don't want to appear weak, and, and that's just pride. But the reality is that there are times in life where we consider quitting or giving up. You know, there are times where things are overwhelming, and it seems like we might just go under. You know, and uh, that looks different for all of us. I understand if if that's never happened to you. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> you know, that's wonderful. But it is my reality. But these are things, you know, as we read, we saw heaven open. No one can shut out or shut off the future plan of God. No one can stop that. Like Tracy read, you know, if we're in the hand of the shepherd, no one can pluck us out of that hand. What God is going to do, he's going to do. And no one, no earthly force, no satanic realm, no other kingdom can prevent that from happening. You know, and the symbolism here is beautiful, guys. We talked about the bride of Christ being gathered, lifted up, carried to her, her wedding feast. And when that would happen in Galilee 2,000 years ago, you know, the bride and the groom and the wedding guests would enter and the door was shut. No one else was allowed in. And for seven days, they would feast and they'd, they, the guests would obviously be out in the courtyard. There'd be an inner room for the bride and her husband. And at, after seven days, they would emerge from that house, from that courtyard, and publicly announce or proclaim that that marriage had taken place. There was great joy and celebration. The doors were open, as it were. And here is the Lord, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ, coming out of heaven. Heaven is opened up. No one can stop him. And behold, he's on a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. You guys remember Revelation 6, there is another white horse with another rider, and some would try to say that that also is Jesus Christ. But that one comes with a bow, and he comes to conquer. He's on a white horse, but he's only wearing Stephanos. He's, he's wearing that kind of crown, a victor's crown, like a leafy crown. That's not what we're reading here. This king is called faithful and true, and he comes with many diadems, many royal crowns on his head. It's not the same character. You know, Daniel, I believe, I can't remember where in Daniel, but Daniel um, tells us that the Antichrist will come and he will actually conquer that white rider on a white horse back in Revelation 6. He will conquer with peace. He will conquer people with peace, with the promise of peace, with the promise of prosperity, and then he will turn on the world and begin his ascent to power, and he will use force ultimately. But this describes the true king. I mean, think of it this way. I like to do this sometimes as I read scripture. Jesus is called faithful and true. The one that comes in his own name, the Antichrist, is unfaithful and false. He's out to deceive and to ruin, to rip people off. You know, this king, our Lord Jesus Christ, comes back in righteousness to make war. 
You know, uh, has there ever been a just war? Yeah, I think so. But is everybody that's ever been involved in war, even a just war, are they all on the same page? Or are they going after their own glory or the bloodlust or whatever they're doing? I don't know, but that's not Jesus. When he comes back, everything he does is right and true, and he makes just war. He's judging justly. And we've seen so much grace in the form of angels that come down and preach the everlasting gospel in the sky. So many opportunities for people to change, to turn to him. And many have in these seven years, guys. But now there's an end in sight. You know, there's victory uh, just off. His eyes, verse 12, were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. You know, when it says, and Tracy, Tracy sang it, and uh, I was always a little scared of that song, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little you know, feet where you go, hands what you do. And that always made me a little afraid as a kid, you know? But then there's, I had forgotten that the Father is not looking down to punish, not looking down to destroy, not looking down to ruin, but he's looking down with love. You guys remember that lyric? You remember how the song goes? He's looking down to help. Mike Tracy mentioned, we'll come back to this in Hebrews 4. We didn't like get together and plan out these scriptures either. In Hebrews 4, we're told that the word of God is a discerner. It's like a sharp sword that cuts down the middle of everything and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. Like God knows exactly what we're thinking all of the time. And it's not some like, oh, be careful because God wants to destroy your life. It is tremendously good that he knows what's going on in here because then he can step in and help me and transplant my heart and transform it and renew it and restore it and call me out when I need to be called out. That is, that is for God to do. His eyes are like a flame of fire. There's nothing that we can put up that hides us from God. He sees right through all of our fakeness. He sees right through all of our acts. I like this you know, part of verse 12. It says, he had a name written that no one knew except himself. You know what you ought to be careful of? You gotta, you gotta be careful somewhat of people that think they know, or they tell you they know everything there is to know about God. There's a level of mystery and awe and majesty and wonder that should come with our understanding of God. Like Paul said, Paul knew a lot about the Lord. I think he knew more than me. And Paul said, hey, we're like looking through a glass. Like it's, it's like we're looking. It's like looking in the mirror. It's like looking through a dark glass. Like we're seeing some things dimly right now. But eventually, we will see him face to face. Like, there's more that we're going to experience. There's more that we're going to learn. But the other part, what, what is this name, you know, that no one knew except himself? I, I like that phrase for a couple of reasons. One of them is that there are things about God that you will only learn if you draw near to him. You know, uh, anybody ever like try to sign into a bank account or something online? You've forgotten, you know, you've forgotten your password or whatever, and it, and ask you security questions like this, like uh, where was you and your wife's, you know, first date? You know, what was that high Siam? What'd you have? We had pick pow chicken, you know. And you answer these questions that no one else would know because they're very personal. They're, they only you would know them because they're moments in time. They're relational things. 
And it's like, what what is this name that no one knew except the Lord Himself? Well, I think that there, just like we saw early in Revelation, He'll give us a new name, like a pet name. Like none of you know, or maybe some of you know, like what I call my kids. I mean, good things. Like I do call Judah Doofus from time to time. I also call my dog Doofus from time to time. But like pet names that I have for my kids, right? Some of you may have heard. I call Hannah Dove. We we call Adelie Bradley sometimes. That she doesn't like that. But, uh, you know, we have different, but, but they're for us, you know, because we have a relationship. We are, you know, that's us. That's our thing, right? Me and Hattie have a special kiss that we do, you know. That, that's our thing. No one else gets to be part of that. And that's what we could have with the Lord. You know, a name that no one knows except himself or to who he would reveal it to. You know, the word of God, James says, draw near to the Lord. And what? What will he do? push you away because you're dirty, yucky, ugly, you know? No. It says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I'll reveal you. I'll reveal things to you that you would never figure out on your own. You're not going to figure out the mind of God, right? And Or the heart of God. Or, the you know, the, any attribute of God, unless he brings it into you. And that's what he wants to do. That's That amazes me. You know, uh, this goes on. It says, Verse 13, he was clothed, this, this returning king, Jesus Christ, was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Uh, what, what is that all about? Whose blood is it? Is it his blood? Is it the blood from the cross? Is it the blood that washed us clean? I would say it's not, because Isaiah 63 says this. You know, verse 2, you don't have to turn there, just listen. You know, why is your apparel red? And, and why your garments like one who treads in the wine press? And this question asked of God. It's really the same thing as in Judah, right? And the response in Isaiah 63 is, I have trodden the wine press alone. Notice alone. He's the only one just to do it. You know, I, I, I'm not going to judge. You're not going to judge. You know, we have, we always have specks in our, logs in our eye at times, right? But Jesus does not. And he will judge in righteousness. I have tra trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my clothes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. You know what? You know, going back to what Tracy said, she talked about no one is going to be able to rip the sheep away from their shepherd. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that our king is going to come back and everybody, you know, first starting with Satan, right? Satan is our, that word means our adversary. He's the one that stands by and says, and he says in your ear, and he says to other people, you're no good, God wouldn't love a person like you, you mess up all the time, you don't, you don't deserve this kind of love. Just like David talked about in Psalm 23, that God set a table for him in the presence of who? His enemies. The ones that say, there's no hope for you in God. That's not going to help you out, David. Adulterer, murderer, you know, power abuser, people numberer. He's not going to help you. But David said, oh, Lord, you're the lifter of my head. You're the one that causes me to look up and remember. This was all about your grace and mercy from the very start. There's a day of vengeance that's coming in a year, you know, for those that have been redeemed. I looked, it says in Isaiah 63, but there was no one to help. No one to help in judging the earth. We're all in the same boat. And I wondered, 
and there, that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm, God says, brought salvation for me. My own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down the strength to the earth. You guys know, I don't know, I don't even want to say it, because I, 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 well, I can't see your faces for the most part, so you can smirk privately, but, you know, I, I, I am not what I would call a man's man, right? But there are people that we, we look around and we say, man, that guy, that guy is a stud. That guy is a strong, you know, stop, you know, he's just, I mean, it's not, I'm not talking about like man, men crust, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, but where am I going with this? <laughs> Shut up, Al. <laughs> uh, there are people that we could look up to in this world and say, man, that guy, that guy's tough, that guy's awesome, that guy's something, that guy's mighty, that guy's great, that guy's super smart, that guy's good at what he does. Or is it going to be like him? You know, this world is full of people, full of great, mighty men. You know, not just men, but I'm, I'm just making a point here, that are going to gather against Jesus Christ. They are going to gather against, you know, one that came down. Think of the things that Jesus did in his life, right? He forgave people. He healed people. He transformed their lives. He said, uh, you know, he made lame people walk. He brought the dead back to life. He healed little kids. He loved little kids. You know, all of these things, all of these things. That you, I mean, crazy people became sane. They put their clothes back on. They, 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 it changed people's lives. Everywhere he went, people were changed by his love and power. And how did the world respond to him? They crucified him. How does the world respond to all this grace and all this love and all this truth? You know, when Jesus comes back, well, they rally under the government of the Antichrist. They rally against him to try to fight against him and, and prevent him from setting up the, the one kingdom that needs to last forever. They want their own kingdom. They want that to last forever. And, uh, man, they're, they're, they're just wrong, guys. Jesus came. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood. He's going to come, excuse me. And his name... He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. His name is called the Word of God. You know what's interesting to me is people do kind of two things with the Word of God. You know, so there's probably other things that you could do with it. But option A is they depersonalized the Word of God. The Pharisees did this. They were separated to God, oh so holy. You know, they knew, you know, they memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They knew it backwards and forwards and inside out. But they did not know the person of God. They had no understanding that the Scriptures, Jesus said this to them, testified of a person. Now there's option two, and this is also error, so I guess there's three courses of action we can take. The second way people look at the Word of God is they say, well, it's all about the person of God, and we don't really need this because I can experience God in my own way. Well, you, you can, except Jesus said, or the Bible says in so many different ways, that this is who Jesus is. I'm not talking about like this book's going to sprout legs and start walking around, but all you have to do is know a few verses to know that there's something very special, very significant about the Word of God. Like John started this way, the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Who is the Word of God? How important is God's Word to God? How important should it be to us? 
you know, we can we can depersonalize it, and that's a mistake because this book is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, let me go to that verse in Hebrews because I just want to make, you know, a quick point. But you know what's amazing about that section in Hebrews four, it says the word of God is living. Well, that's our first clue that there's something special about this. It's not just words on a page. It's not just ancient text. It's not just, oh, you know, what some guys thousands of years ago thought. The Word of God is living and powerful, and it's sharper than two-edged, any two-edged sword, any sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, listen, it's talking about the Word of God. But then verse 13, I hope you're there. I hope you're in Hebrews 4. You can you just remember this. Check it out yourself. It says, and there is no creature hidden from, not its sight. It says his sight. From the word sight. There is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And man, I've said this probably dozens of times, but if you just keep reading, it talks about this one, you know, whom everything is open. His eyes are like a flame of fire. It says that he is our high priest. And we don't have a high priest that can't sympathize with our weakness, the frustrations of this life where we blow it time and time and time again. But rather, we have a high priest to whom we can come. He's being perfect, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know what that means to me? It means that this is alive. Jesus is real, and he's living, and he's working through this. If this is his name, this must be very important. I hope it has that place of priority in your life. Because when I open this, you know, I don't have to be all experiential. This is what God is. This is His character. This is His nature. And when I just open my Bible and say, God, reveal to me who I am, that I might change and become more like you, conform to your image, Lord. I don't want to stay the same. I have to change. He's going to accomplish that through His Word. He's not going to accomplish that if you depersonalize him and push him out of his word. He's not certainly going to accomplish that if you put this on the shelf and say, yeah, I just have me and my, my walks in the woods, and that's where I feel God's presence. I mean, take walks, but take your Bible with you. Open it up. When things get hard, open your Bible up and see what the Lord has to say to you, because sometimes you might be just like me and struggle to hear him. But when I open this up, I can hear God. The words are black and white, guys, for a reason. We can know the voice of God. We can know what He said. We can build a life upon that, acting upon what we've read. You know, the name of God is very important, right? It's it's His name. He says, you know, that there's a name that no one, you know, name written that no one knows except Himself. And then He says a verse later, His name is called the Word of God. You know, personally, I think there's something to that. I think that if you really go after the Word of God, you will come to know God Himself. He will reveal Himself to you. If you diligently seek Him, He's going to reward you by giving you Himself. Boy, we're not going to make it very far. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's us, guys. That's not just the angel. That's us. And we're dressed up in white and clean. And that, that amazes me. Remember in Zechariah chapter 3, right? Joshua, the high priest at that time, is standing in his robes are, you know, Satan is opposing him. It's a kind of a vision. You don't have to turn there. Look, 
Satan is opposing the high priest Joshua at the time, in that day, and Joshua has robes that, uh, I'm trying to look for kids in cars, but they are literally like covered in, and the Hebrew word is excrement. Like that's how dirty this dude is. And Satan is saying, look at you, look at you, look at you. And God says, no, 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 no. That guy's clean because I'm, I, I've cleaned him. That guy's mine. That guy's mine. He's like a brand. He's like a burned out log pulled from the fire and restored, renewed, and useful to me. I love that image, guys. We're not going to heaven because we're awesome. We're going to heaven because Jesus is awesome. And then he dresses us up and says, no, you're clean and white. And we say, no, we're not. And he says, yes, you are. I died for that. I accomplished that. We follow him out of heaven and we're, you know, white and clean on white horses. And now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And with it, he should strike the nation. You know where there's real power? There's real power in the word of God because what God says, sorry, do that for a fact. I know that would be that loud. What God says is going to happen. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is a sword that divides, man. It divides everyone in this plane, in this, in this reality, you know? There are those that would build their life upon it and those that would scoff at it and reject it. And he comes out and his judgments is just what he says in his word. This is what's going to happen if you reject him. And he himself will rule with the rod of iron. For those that want to look deeper, look at Psalm 2. You know, where the, the rulers of this world, the kings of this world, uh, gather together to, to fight against the Messiah, it says. The Lord's anointed. And the Lord just says, that's coming to nothing. That's coming to nothing. I remember a while back, Grim did a, a great uh, short Bible study on Psalm 2 on a Thursday night. Now out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, that with that with it he should strike the nation, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself, notice it says that twice, he himself, he's not, it's his job, he's taking this seriously, it's for him to do, he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has a name, he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, he's got the final word. Revelation calls God, Jesus Christ, he's the first and the last. You know, he's, he's our creator and he's the ender of this story that we're all in the middle of. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. No mighty man, no stud, no, no nobody, no arrogant, you know, guy that knows everything and can make you feel like a dummy just because you don't have words to kind of argue your case, right, and argue what you believe. No, nobody's going to stand before him. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's going to do what he says he's going to do. I like 16 that it says he's got a name on his robe and on his thigh, a name that's written. I don't know. Maybe if you have a tattoo, you can take heart because perhaps this name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is straight up tattooed on his thigh. Maybe it's just on the robe on his thigh. I like the image, and I said this a couple weeks ago, of Jesus coming back on a white steed with his bride to lay down your know, judgment on anyone that would oppose and accuse and try to destroy his bride. And he comes and he's riding, he's got a tattoo on his thigh saying, hey, I don't know, I like the image of that, you know? Um, if you ride motorcycles, maybe you can relate. I, I don't, but uh, God does. Here's a few. One road to church today. I think it's pretty awesome. He's got a name on his robe and a, a spy name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and that angel must be pretty bright if it's in the sun and it can be observed, right? And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Look, 
He's invited everyone, anyone that would come. Go out to the highways, find anybody, the hedges, the highways, anybody that will come to my wedding feast, I want them there. But some will refuse, they'll make excuses, they don't care to be there, and they won't be there. Well, they, they still got a supper to attend. Unfortunately, it's this second one. And look, I, I mean, I didn't write this. This is what Jesus says, this is what's going to happen. This angel comes and says, come gather together for the supper of the great God. You know, all, that, all of you that are gathered to fight against him, all that have rejected him, that you may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, the flesh of all people. And notice it says this, guys, free and slave. You know, I know there's a lot of talk about liberty, about what we have as citizens in the United States, but notice this. There'll be some people that are fighting for liberty, you know, in this vast army that's opposing Jesus Christ, there'll be some that are in slavery. And they'll be joined together in the rejection of him. So just keep the main thing the main thing. If you're, you know, you're supporting, you know, liberty, as you're supporting our pursuit to be able to gather, as you're supporting political parties, whatnot, keep liberty in its place. It's, it's a great thing. It's wonderful that we live in the United States and we enjoy the freedoms that we have. But understand, freedom doesn't get you to heaven. Neither does slavery. You know, riches, poverty, none of that stuff. What are you doing with Jesus Christ? Are you, are you his bride? Have you put yourself in that place? Have you drank the cup that he's offered to you? Have you taken of his grace and love and drank deeply and said, I'm not getting this anywhere else? You know, that's who he is. But these have rejected it, both free and slave, small and great. And I saw the beast. Right? The Antichrist, this mighty man, the kings of the earth and their armies. I'm sure this looked awesome to John. Gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Some say that this is 200 million you know, men strong. I, I, that's some people's perspective. I think it's a great, you know, vast army too. I don't have a number. But listen to how quickly the story ends. Then the beast was captured. It's like, it's over before it starts. And with him the false prophet, you know, that false, like, Holy Spirit-like character, that, you know, this unholy trinity, the beast, you know, the, the false messiah and the false spirit, they're captured, you know, the one who works signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. And notice, these two were cast alive into the lake of fire. They were cast alive. Like, there's no annihilation. Like, when our life here ends, there's eternity. For the believer, and the unbeliever. You know, some people really push hard for like, if you don't love God, you don't know Him, you don't know Jesus, when this life is over, you're just like, like consumed. There's no mention of that in Scripture. And it's not, I'm not saying this to scare you, I'm saying this to compel you to make sure, make sure your calling election is sure. Make sure, like Paul, you don't, you know, you don't live this churchy life and then fail to know the person, the power of, of, of the Word of God. Make sure you know Him. We have to. Life is eternal. You know, there's this passing from one phase to the next that is, that's, that's, that's death. But this is eternity we're talking about. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of Him who sat on the horse. And all the birds, all the vultures, all the crows, all of them were filled with their flesh. Is this a literal battle? I don't see of reading this in any other way. You know, next week we're going to talk about the Millennial Kingdom, guys. Please read ahead. Please dig in. And I want you to think about this question. I'm not going to tell you what to think. 
But why on earth, and I'm not accusing God of anything, actually there's tremendous wisdom, I believe, and more to be seen. Um, why does he capture and kind of judge the false prophet and the Antichrist? Why does he do away with them, throw them in the lake of the fire, but he only binds Satan for a thousand years and then he releases him again? Why does God do that? Why does he allow Satan to ever come back? It seems like he could just come in and he's God, right? He could just clean house right now and be done with it. You know, a thousand years are great, and we're going to talk about what's happening during those thousand years, but why can't eternity, a new heaven and a new earth, just start right away? That's for you to dig into and come to church next week. I hope you do, because I think the plan of God, and it's a plan that's not just future, it's a plan from the very beginning, so I think it's, it's incredibly brilliant. What he's going to show man, I'm so tempted to talk about it now, but Merrimatha needs the transmitter. You know, please, read ahead, guys, starting chapter 20. We're going to go uh, a little ways into chapter 20, and we're going to talk about what life is going to be like during that millennial reign. We're going to talk about who is going to be on this earth and who is going to be waiting for judgment. We're going to talk about why. Satan is released for a little while, and why on earth, in this perfect place, in this 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 new, you know, this wonderful earth, the way the earth is supposed to be, why after a thousand years, an army again gathers under the leadership of Satan that is as multitudinous, like that word, that's a big word for me, as the sand on the sea. Like so many people, after a thousand perfect years, say, we're done with Jesus Christ reigning physically in Jerusalem. We're going to fight against him one more time. Why is that happening? So dig in, guys, and understand that this, this sharp dividing sword, you know, the Word of God is what divides people. Division is necessary in God's equation, right? To separate the sheep from the goats. To separate his bride from those that would want to destroy his bride. It's a question we all face each day. We need to be with him. We need him. And that's my reality, and I know that's yours. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the brevity of this, Lord. We pray that uh, Scott over at Maranatha and all the people that will be listening to your word over there will be blessed, Lord, and encouraged as they gather, Lord. And we pray for, we do pray for more freedom. Lord, we're enjoying what we have now. Uh, thank you for the beautiful day. And I pray that people would, would stick around a little while to consider and stir up love and good works and those other people that have gathered you today. No one would leave here you know, without talking to somebody, asking for prayer, asking to pray for somebody, or encouraging somebody that they see. You would make us a family. You can do that. Lord. And uh, give us your perspective and your heart for other people. And we pray this in your name. Hey, if you need prayer, come and get it. Find one of the guys in a vest. Um, or, um, service is over. Thank you for coming.